This is the Oanda Podcast. You're listening to the Oanda Market Insights Podcast, talking to Oanda senior market analysts across the world. And today we're joined by Craig Earlham in London. Good morning, Craig. How are you doing? Very good, mate. How are you? Very well, thanks. The big story of the morning, as far as the UK is concerned, are the latest inflation figures, with UK prices soaring at their fastest rate for almost 10 years, cost of living surging by 4.2% in October. Was this around about where market expectations were? It was actually higher than market expectations, and interestingly, I think it was higher than the Bank of England was previously forecasting for this time of the year. Uh, which suggests that once again, they find themselves a little bit behind the curve, which again, when we're looking at the December meeting, which we'll come to in a minute, could be influential. In terms of the factors that are driving the spike in inflation, they're not entirely surprising. A lot of them are known things like the uh, off-gem price cap uh, increase. That's obviously known things like second-hand cars prices. They're rising. We know that that's been quite evident in the data so far. But I just think it's the level of which we're seeing these price increases is exceeding expectations. And that's where the kind of shortfall came from as far as the forecasts um, are concerned. And like I say, it leaves the UK in a bit of a sticky position. Inflation is now above uh, 4%. It's expected to reach around 5 maybe 5 in a little bit um, around the turn of next year. But it's not just this month's figure that's the concern, really. And this is something that's been become quite evident again over the course of the past couple of months. People are concerned about the level of inflation, but they're also concerned about how long it lasts. These levels of inflation are expected to last quite a few months before they start to fall out the annualised comparison and we start to see inflation moving back towards where we'd normally expect. So what that means is abnormally high inflation, uncomfortably high inflation, more than double uh, the Bank of England's uh, target rate for quite a few months, maybe six, seven, eight, nine months. So that's quite a long time. And that, that's what's going to make life really uncomfortable for the Bank of England in terms of setting their interest rate policy. And that brings us to December. We know that they effectively bottled the decision in November, not because it was the wrong decision per se, but because they'd led us down that path and then voted 7-2 against it. So it was a very strange outcome. They've then alluded to the fact that what they wanted was more data as far as the furlough schemes concerned to see how the labor market stood up to that now the good thing about putting off the decision from that perspective was they get two more inflation reports uh, now and a day before the next meeting in december and two more jobs reports being yesterday and two days before the meeting in december now the the report that we saw yesterday from the labor market was very encouraging it showed that a very small number of those still furloughed the 1.1 million still furloughed in september a very small number maybe around a tenth of that um, actually got made redundant so that's really encouraging it didn't give us any indication as to um into how many people are underemployed to so people who've gone back to work on a part-time basis rather than but one full-time work so that contributes to the slack in the economy and the reason for that is because some of the data is released for October things like the claimant count and other things like the unemployment rate and the employment rate is for September so there's a, there's a lag between the two data points so we'll get a lot more information a couple of days prior to the Bank of England meeting uh, next month so it suggests the data that we've had over the last 48 hours uh, is that the furlough scheme has wrapped up and the knock-on effects to the labor market haven't been too significant which is really encouraging there was strong jobs growth as well uh, over the course of the last three months and inflation is higher the bank of england's backed itself into a corner you have to wonder what their argument could possibly be now not to raise interest rates in december by that 15 basis points if the furlough scheme hasn't been troubling and hasn't created additional slack and too much additional slack in the labor market and price pressures are exceeding their expectations 
Craig, what I don't understand is, yes, inflation is rising much higher than we would like, but this is largely due to external factors. We've already said the energy price hikes, nothing to do, all to do with external events, even the cost of secondhand cars, that's because of a lack of cars available on the market to buy uh, new and so on and so on. Inflation will come down at some point in the next uh, few months. Why raise rates anyway if it's going to come down? What good would it do except spook a few people, take money out of the economy and affect the pound in your pocket? What it does is it's not necessarily just this rate hike. It's the path of travel it then takes us on in terms of two, three, four more rate hikes, which the markets are pricing in over the last 12 months. The tightening of financial conditions, it therefore leads to in the financial markets, which will have those knock-on effects. I think they also say that these rate hikes, they take around 18 months to really filter through into the wider economy so it's not necessarily going to have an immediate impact uh, per se either uh, in terms of what the point of it is if they think it's all temporary factors well a large part of it is being driven by these temporary factors the, the question becomes what are the second round effects the third round effects people are seeing higher energy prices higher fuel prices higher food prices higher um, um, uh, higher costs for things like second-hand cars and a, a thing come January, February, March, when you're having salary negotiations, are they going to start asking for more money? And when we start to see these second and third round effects where people are expecting higher inflation, demanding higher wages, moving jobs, demanding higher wages at a time when you've got a tight labour market, when we've seen a shift over the course of the last couple of years, and we're therefore seeing labour shortages in certain sectors, things like lorry drivers, for example, if that starts to lead to higher wage increases, which again, if prices that things that has to then be passed on via businesses to end consumers and you start to begin this kind of negative feedback loop, then that can lead to more sustained inflationary pressures. That's the type of thing that the central banks are, are more concerned about right now. Now, right this second, there is evidence that it's becoming a little bit more broad-based, but again, a little bit more broad-based, driven by these temporary factors. So it still looks as though this is going to kind of be a one-year, 18-month jump, and then things are naturally going to reset themselves with central banks then seeing inflation naturally dropping back below target. The problem that they have is that inflation's rising so far and it's lasting so long that if they are wrong in their assessment and the second round effects and the third round effects start to take hold, then they'll be responding quite late in the day. And what that means is they'll have to start raising interest rates quite fast. So say 12 months from now, they've they've their assessment has been as wrong arguably, as it has been in the last 12 months, because it's been an extremely difficult time to be making these forecasts, and inflation's at 6%, and interest rates are at 0.1%, then we're not going to be talking about a 15 basis point rate hike. We're going to be talking about a, a 50 basis point rate hike, a 100 basis point rate hike, and it's these sharp increases in interest rates that have far more damaging effects for the economy um, than small tweaks to the interest rate that we see now. But then even the small interest rate tweaks that we see and the tightening of financial conditions uh, that we see in the market don't come without a cost. As we saw, for example, a decade ago in the Eurozone, the Euro area started to see higher inflation. They started to raise interest rates and they quickly had to reverse course and cut them again once, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it tipped the economy there into recession because it was already uh, undergoing a fragile recovery and, we, and then obviously that a number of things happened after that. I guess what I'm trying to say here is it's not a straightforward decision. They are being driven by temporary factors. Temporary factors can become more significant factors and this is the difficult position that central banks now find them in. And the fact that they're finding this situation hard is forgivable. These are not normal circumstances. We're coming on the off the back of 
a, a terrible pandemic that caused enormous shifts, which led to massive government spending, which led to big stimulus spending, which we'll come to in a second, for example, in the US and the effects that that can have. Uh, and they're still dealing with the consequences, big supply chain issues. They're still dealing with the consequence of this now. So it's forgivable that their forecasts are a bit off. What, what isn't necessarily very forgivable is when the communication's poor. The Federal Reserve has been fantastic with its communication throughout this entire period. Even right now, when people are saying maybe they should be warning about interest rate hikes next year. Well, we're talking about interest rate hikes in June, July at this point in time. The bank, the, the Federal Reserve has plenty of time to do that. And the chances are, come December, they may drop the transitory line, replace it with something else when they get the new forecast, when they see the new dot plots, and they're forced to accept that they're going to foresee earlier interest rate hikes. And that still gives the markets plenty of warning. The Bank of England doesn't have that excuse. It very much led us down the path in November that we could potentially see an intro hike, and they voted very strongly against it. And it's that kind of communication mishap that the markets aren't overly forgiving of. And I think that's where some central banks really have a job in the hand, correcting and refining their messaging to ensure that while the job isn't easy, they're at least being very open and transparent with the markets. Okay, you've mentioned the United States, and yesterday we saw some retail sales figures. Did they have much of an effect on the markets, and how do they tie in with what you've just said regarding future rates on both sides of the Atlantic? So the retail sales figures were much stronger than the markets were expecting, and I think that was interesting for a couple of reasons. One, it showed that the consumer really bounced back following the lull that we saw in the summer when we saw the, the, the Delta variant spike over in the US. It shows that there's still plenty of cash left over um, among consumers in the US because of those stimulus payments that were made, those direct payments that were made in the US um, a couple of times over the course of the last 12 months or so. And going into a really important holiday period, it shows that consumers are win willing to spend it. We're not seeing that as much in the UK, actually. In the UK, we've seen the savings rate uh, rise quite considerably throughout this period, but there isn't really that much evidence that consumers here are quite willing to spend it, which means that the economic um, improvement, the economic uh, stimulus that you tend to see as a result of that, which we're expecting to see in the US, may not be as significant here in the in the UK, but in the US, these retail sales figures were very strong. So we saw the stock markets do uh, okay off the back of it. We saw the dollar rallying. We saw US yields uh, popping a little bit higher as well. And like I say, it's a really encouraging sign. There may be an element to it of people maybe doing their festive shopping a little bit early this year, uh, which I think is, is a pattern which we are seeing in a number of countries because uh, of these supply issues. No one wants to be caught out two weeks, a week before Christmas, shopping on Christmas Eve, as many people have in the past, not being able to uh, get the presents because the shelves are empty. There's no guarantee that that's going to happen, but we've heard so much about supply issues over the course of the last few months. I think a lot of people are probably doing their Christmas shopping a little bit early this year, and maybe that's helping to... Uh, helping to fuel some of this so that may but i guess we'll only really see the full effects of that uh over the course of the next couple of months of data to see if that does smooth out or if we're actually seeing just a general um return of the u.s consumer which is what it looks like currently you're right i mean anecdotally i know that a lot of people over here are making early purchases for christmas craig because they're worried that they won't be able to buy them a bit later on in the month or in december so they're getting uh, their orders in uh, early which uh, makes a lot of sense and perhaps will help uh, the market a bit because it will spread things a bit more evenly 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm notoriously a late Christmas shopper, but even I'm uh, extremely organised this year. So, um, anecdotally, I'm I'm very in, I'm very much inclined to agree. Again, you don't want to kind of you don't want you don't want this to become a hysterical thing like we've seen with fuel, uh, for example. But I think people are just being a bit more prepared. I don't think there's panic shopping. I think there's prepared uh, shopping this year. So we may, as you say, just may, may see a more even spread over the course uh, of the winter period. But interestingly, like I say, in the US, it looks as though this is um, more a case of people spending their stimulus checks uh, at this moment in time rather than what we're seeing here in the UK uh, which is people continuing to save um, save that extra income which maybe just says a lot about how people here in the UK perceive the economic outlook to be sluggish recovery higher taxes um, uh, higher fuel costs higher energy costs etc 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 maybe in the US people are a little bit more optimistic on the on the economic outlook for the next 12 months and the challenges facing them and therefore feel freer to spend some of that extra cash having said that perhaps you are a little bit pessimistic about the UK economy those employment figures were incredibly good when you consider in comparison to what was predicted at the height of the pandemic you know they were talking about depression numbers that's not happened and even now with furlough over we have a employment supply shortage there are plenty of jobs out there and i expect those figures will probably go up in terms of the number of people employed even more which is good for the chance of the exchequer if he wants to get more tax revenue yeah, absolutely. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm pessimistic on the UK. I think this year I was probably among the more bullish uh, as far as the UK is concerned, especially when we saw the reopening. We saw that it was going well. I think I've, I've been quite bullish, but the, it does face it does face certain headwinds. And when people are a little bit uh, reluctant to spend their extra cash in an economy that's consumer-driven like the UK is, that is one particular headwind. But like I say, higher energy costs, higher national insurance um, next year, um, and uh, higher fuel costs, etc., etc. These are all significant headwinds that we have to account for, and they seem to be having an impact on consumer behaviour, which ultimately is the biggest headwind of all, maybe. Um, and I think the one thing that we've got going for us is the fact that we are still fully open, zero restrictions and it doesn't look like that's going to change anytime soon so that's a massive positive as far as the economy is concerned and maybe now that the furlough schemes ended and people start to see that the impact on the labor market has been quite slim maybe if some of these positions start to now get filled by people who have left the furlough scheme and haven't been retained or by people who have left the furlough scheme and only been retained on a part-time basis so we start to see more more competition and more demand for jobs maybe more skills moving into the right areas etc maybe that will then come the turn of the year that will have a more than positive knock-on effect and we can start to see a more positive feedback loop um, as far as the UK economy is concerned. So there is all, all of these options and many more. We live in these highly uncertain, very unpredictable to an extent times. Uh, but uh, like I say, we are seeing these various things being reflected in the data, not here, just here in the UK, but like I say, with those US retail sales figures as well. Okay, we don't often talk about Turkey on this podcast, uh, Craig. Uh, we allude to it occasionally and mainly because of its currency or interest rates. Now, uh, it looks like uh, Turkey is on a mission to aggressively cut its rates at the moment after raising them very high. What is behind these moves? Well, I mean, it's hard to say anything except what's behind the moves is President Erdogan and his belief that 
lower in, lower in, lower interest rates, cut inflation and higher interest rates, increase inflation, which goes counter to uh, the general held view. Uh, so that's really what's behind this. He's sacked multiple governors now over the course of the last few years because they've not necessarily held the same view. They've pushed back against what governors in their position would typically do in terms of raising interest rates to, to cut off inflation. They've tried alternative methods. They've tried to to do other things. They've even been reluctant to raise interest rates, but eventually had to do it because they're feeling the pressure and they don't want to be responsible for inflation soaring out of control and hyperinflation and all of that. And then they've eventually been sacked when the economy um, when the economy takes a hit. Now it seems that Erdogan has a governor in charge who is perfectly willing to effectively do his bidding. Um, so we've got a situation whereby the governor came in earlier this year and he said that he's effectively going to keep interest rates above inflation. Um, so that was, a, that was a promise that the markets could remain relatively on board with, although it did just become a question of time in terms of is he going to go back on this promise or is he going to get sacked? Now, what he decided to do is go back on his promise in emphatic fashion. So inflation uh, rose to close to 20%. And rather than raising interest rates to account for that, he cut interest rates. They, they cut interest rates. And then they cut interest rates again and cut interest rates again. The last cut interest rate cut was 200 basis points, taking it down to, I think, 16%. This is when inflation is now just shy of 20%. He started talking a lot about core inflation. Then he started talking about the current account deficit and how the, that can be fixed by a weaker exchange rate. The ultimate impact of this being that... The CBRT no longer has any credibility. The CBRT governor no longer has any credibility whatsoever. The the grey area, the divide between central bank and government has been completely shot. And now it's clear that there's heavily political influence in the central bank uh, decisions. And the area that takes its the area that takes its toll on is the currency and uh, and, and flows of collateral into and out of the country and into and out of the bond markets, the stock markets, etc. So this and this is a country with a large amount of dollar-denominated debt, which is where problems start to arise later on. And what we've got right now, for example, is the the currency has the dollar has risen to more than ten Turkish lira, and it seemingly feels like it's almost spiraling out of control. Now we have to remember that when it rose uh, a couple of months ago, back in September, to just above eight and a half, I think it was at the time. This was a record low or a record high for the dollar against the lira. So since it kind of hit those levels, we've gone from around eight and a half to around ten and a half. That's really basically since we started seeing these aggressive um, moves. And then we've seen about a 20, 20 odd percent decline in the value of the Turkish lira. They suggest that there's massive problems ahead. They've suggested that they're doing this because they expect inflation to fall. Well, other central banks around the world aren't cutting interest rates because they expect inflation to fall. They're really pushing back against raising interest rates. And then they're going to likely reluctantly embark on that in, in many cases. But the CBRT right now is no ordinary central bank and they're not, they're not pursuing conventional central bank policies and they're paying the price in terms of the currency and I'm sure the inflation rate is going to remain extremely high. At some point, that's going to take its toll on the economy and I think ultimately Erdogan will throw the governor under the bus Um and it's just a case of when rather than if. If by some miracle they manage to hold out long enough and the currency stabilises and they leave interest rates, say, at 15% after this meeting, if they do cut by 100 basis points tomorrow, and then over the course, and then they, then he's given the time for inflation to fall a little bit and inflation falls back towards kind of 15% or so, 10%, then they may have got away with it. Um, but right now it really isn't looking good. And the problem, the problem with all of this 
is central bank credibility is an important thing. And central bank credibility in this case has been completely obliterated under the governor's leadership. And um, that's going to be hard to claw back if they do survive this. Yeah, sounds like crazy economics. Craig, thanks very much for joining us this morning. We'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. This is the Oanda Podcast.